Welcome to the Van Man Podcast. My name is Sam and I am the Van Man. I believe in living a full life and I know that I do that differently than most people. So I invite interesting people into my van to talk about their hobbies, their side gigs, their passions, so that hopefully I can glean some insight into how I can live my life fuller. In this episode, my guest is Collodian Dimitri, who's a professional half Ironman athlete. Collodian has gone from barely running a 5K to now racing professionally, and it's one of my own personal goals to be be able to run an Ironman myself. So it was an absolute dream to have him in my van to be able to just glean some insights from him personally and some of the learnings that he's had on his journey. He's an absolute beast, and it was so much fun to have him in this van. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Let's dive right in. Do you want to jump in with just uh, starting out with your origin story? I mean, before you became competitive and you were an elite triathlete what was it like growing up were you ever doing this kind of stuff no I have like zero background in sports I I kind of like empathize with my five-year-old daughter right now just because we we asked her the other day I'm like what do you want to do when you grow up she's like oh I want to watch movies I'm like yeah that's what I did till I was like 20 I just like was a couch potato I enjoyed Netflix and chilling I uh, I place a good emphasis on like education because my parents like being uh, immigrants and chasing that American dream. Uh, so I always did good in school, but my hobbies were just like sitting on the couch watching TV. I did math club and debate team in high school, but aside from that, had zero athletic aspirations. Uh, don't get me wrong. I think I wanted to do sports and be good at it. I tried soccer once, made the team to like sit at the bench all season, but right. I just like physical activity wasn't really my forte. And um, yeah, I just happened to find it after college. I did like my first 5K was like the color run. I think I did in like two pairs of sweatpants and like a hoodie because it was so cold. And yeah, doing a 5K felt like a marathon to me. I had to take a good eight breaks. It was in Chicago and I did it with like friends. And after that, it was. Um, it was like so hard and then everyone after college has like oh i want to do like check a marathon off the bucket list and i was like well how can i like check multiple things off a bucket list so i was like oh an iron man it's an iron man and it also has a marathon so i can check two things in one go so the next logical step after a 5k is doing an iron man so right of course that makes <laughs> the, the most sense there it was sure. and then i did it it was hard but I got into a bike crash during the race. Wow. During um, your first Ironman. Yeah. It was in Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, brutal. Yeah, it was brutal. I was going like 40 miles an hour downhill. and uh, But I ended up finishing it because you pay an absurd amount of money to do an Ironman. Right. And after I finished it, I was like, well, I can't let this be like a one and done thing because I want right. to see how fast I can actually go. Right. Especially think, since you wrecked. It's yeah. Like, ah, well, I think I, if I had punished. finished it like unscathed on like not having crashed it would have been a one and done thing it would have been just like once all right knock that off the bucket list i got to do a marathon and an ironman never have to do this again but the fact that i like wrecked i was like well i want to see if i can actually do this and how fast i can actually do it right so then i signed up for another one and it was kind of just down the rabbit hole so how long was it before between 5k and ironman and that's got to be a couple of years. No, it was like, um, it was like, I don't even remember when that 5K was. I think it was like during, because it was cold, because I remember we were distinctly wearing two pairs of sweatpants to run. 
So it must have been like in November and then Ironman Wisconsin, I think it was like end of September. So I think it was like within a year period. What? Give or take, yeah. You went from barely being able to run a 5K to Ironman in a year? Yeah. And like my training for Ironman was actually funny because I still remember this day. I was like really into lifting weights because I thought like, you know, being buff and jacked would get girls, but no girls were getting gotten. So my training was like literally I would lift weights five times a week, run a 5K every other day, and do like two or three spin classes at my local gym. And that was how I trained for an Ironman. So it wasn't like the best training. I was just trying to do some sort of cardio to survive. But that's how I approached training for my first Ironman. So it was kind of like very interesting. Holy smokes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's much different to how I train now. Where it's that must like, have been a painful Ironman. <laughs> surprisingly, it wasn't like too bad. Because um, I think what I've learned over the last couple of years is I enjoy the art of suffering. I'm not a naturally talented swim biker or runner or anything mm-hmm. like that. I just am able to just kind of grit through sports, life, family, whatever. It's like it has to get done. I have to make it that finish line. I have to be a dad. I have to be a corporate employee. I have to do all this stuff. It needs to get done. I can't just stop. So right. I think I've always had that mentality, just like buckle down and get it done. Uh, so don't get me wrong. It was hard. I don't recommend anyone train for an right. Ironman like that. Um, but, I mean, I was going to make it to the finish line no matter what. Yeah, you're lucky you were able to walk away from that wreck, let alone, you know, well, you're lucky you were able to finish, let alone just walk away. Like, it, I mean. Oh, yeah, I still remember. Like, you could have been out. <laughs> my wife, but she was my girlfriend at the time. I, like, finished the bike. She didn't know I had wrecked. She thought I had an ice pack in my spandex, but it was actually my hip was that swollen that it looked like an ice pack. But yeah, it was just, uh, and I still remember, like, I was so sore, not only from having done a 14-hour Ironman, but the, from also crashing. And I remember the race was on a Sunday. I had a 7 a.m. flight to Boston because I was doing consulting for Deloitte at the time. Okay. So I had to fly to Boston for, like, client meetings the next morning. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, I just remember, I think it was more painful the next day because, like, once everything kind of sets in, you're like, yeah. I'm so achy, but now I have to go travel so for much work. Pain. And yeah. then you got to go back to work. Yeah. Man, there's a lot, uh, there's a lot I can follow up on there. I mean, just in terms of balancing life and having a wife to support you, there's a lot of questions that I want to kind of get into. Yeah. But um, first, I want to kind of start just from, that was a 14-hour Ironman and I think just two days ago on Sunday, you did uh, a nine-hour Ironman. It was Ironman yeah, Arizona? I 858. 858. But my PR in a full Ironman is 838. So, oh, my goodness. Yeah. But e- each course is different because right. based on elevation, wind, there's a lot of factors that can kind of play. Right. Um, but, yeah, I'm I'm happy with, like, the trajectory I've had in uh, racing over the last couple of years. Right. And I'm sure, like, obviously there's nothing you could say on an hour long podcast that completely covers just thousands of hours of work that, and dedication that just goes into cutting five hours from your Ironman time. Mm-hmm. But what are some of the, like, kind of highlights for you? What were some of the, the key learnings that you think back on and think, um, it's a really good thing I learned how to do X, Y, and Z to be able to get to this point now? 
Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I was actually just talking to my coach because he stayed with me in Arizona this past weekend. I don't think I really consider myself an athlete or like taking triathlon seriously till I want to say after Kona 2019. So around October 2019. After, after Kona. After that, that was my second or third Kona. But I, I wouldn't say I took the sport seriously till after that. And that's around the same time I started working with this coach just because, and that's when I started noticing the, like the major improvements. Like I was slowly like taking stuff away, but like you start thinking of it, like once you start getting to the pointy end of it, you're not going to see these major PRs. Like right. so to put in perspective, like 2016, 2015 is like when I was getting into sport in general. Like my marathon time, like let's just use that as like a linear thing. It went from like 409 to 335 to 255 and then to 240. And then I just stopped focusing on marathon. Like those are huge jumps every Massive single jumps, yeah. yeah. So just the fact that like the, after a while, those jumps should start like instead of a 20 minute jump every single time, it should be like five minute jump, four minute jump, three minute jump, like right. 30 second jump. But the fact is I, I'm still seeing those jumps even now just because I feel like I'm taking the right approach to triathlon, to do sport right. and everything. And I'm still learning a lot. Like this is my first season running pro, uh, racing professionally. And man, I still, I feel like I'm just like my first time that I'm doing triathlon. Like it, it was kind of weird up until the last month I was having those like nervous that nervous feeling before a race i'm like what the heck i never felt like this as an amateur in like 2020 2021 i'm like why am i nervous like but it was just kind of like, like it was a new journey a new right. thing that i was kind of embarking on but i'm finally kind of getting that groove it's like i don't need to be nervous it's like i trained for this this is the this is like the celebration i guess um to kind of showcase all the work that i've done but back to your early point i think the biggest things that i kind of changed before October 2019 to after 2019 to now is the fact that I was able to focus more on just training effectively, um, focusing more on sleep, focusing more on nutrition. And it's like basic things that don't cost money. Like you always think like, oh, did he just get a faster bike? Did he, what, what's he like, is he just running faster? Like little things like that. Right. But it's just gear. Yeah, exactly. But it's no, it's stuff that you can get for free, I guess. So, right. um, kind of breaking up those three things with sleep. I always like I thought the more training I did was more beneficial than the sleep. So if I was like would do a late night workout and then wake up early and do another workout, it's like cool. I'm training more, but I'm also running on five hours sleep. It's like what's the quality? Is my body right. able to absorb that training? Is all that training for not? So little things like that. So sleep has always been important, especially now that I have three kids. Um, and my wife is like a professional sleeper, so I've learned from the best. But it's one of those things that I'm regularly sleeping at least like nine hours, which I think is very important. Uh, nutrition being a big part of it, like I always thought is, man, I need to, unless I'm actually training hard, I don't need to take in this sugar, this electrolyte, this gel, this Gatorade. Is this extra calories? Like, what's it actually doing? But I learned a lot of the importance of if I'm not fueling, like, I started treating after 2019 um, food, nutrition, gels, electrolyte powder, whatever I was taking, 
more as fuel rather than yeah. looking at it as like it's food. It's just yeah, something it's, it's like not that. so much entertainment, right? Yep. We're not going to a restaurant for yeah. the party and for the fun. It's what am I going to get at the restaurant? Yeah, so and ultimately, like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like set myself up for the next training session. Like if I leave a certain training session depleted, I'm already screwed for tomorrow and the day after. So I always thought it, unless it was like a hard training session, I don't need to take in Gatorade. I can just drink regular water because I was so focused on like training. I want, I, I want to look, you know, shredded. I want to look good rather than what's the point of training. The point of training isn't to lose weight and look good shirtless. It's to get stronger as an athlete. And by doing that and by fueling my body, I've noticed that I look a lot more toned. I look really, really good, even though I'm taking a lot more carbohydrates, a lot more sugar, a lot more calories, because ultimately, like, you need to kind of fuel your body in order to get the results that you want. How much are you, like, I, I imagine there's a, a similar aspect of optimizing nutrition and sleep mm-hmm. to the same way as your training or, or your um, competition. Like you mentioned, it's harder to cut off 20 minutes off of your time today than it was, right? Now it's mm-hmm. you're looking at one minute or two minute. Um, is it kind of the same way with food and, and how do you kind of view those changes how are you optimizing at this level uh i don't know i I feel like food is something that's kind of come easy to me okay i feel like if i'm hungry i just need to eat if i'm if i reach a point of like oh my gosh i'm I'm starving it's i've already gone too far at the deep end and i kind of like jokes like i'm a professional dad where i always have snacks on hand not only for the kids but also for myself like right no matter like in my office i have snacks in like every drawer so um, I can always have something within reach. And so food's never been an issue for me. I'm always constantly eating. Uh, the first thing I do as soon as I wake up is make the kids breakfast and make myself breakfast because I need to start the day by eating. And there's a lot of you know talks about diet nowadays, mm-hmm. and I've never really gone too far down that rabbit hole. The way I look at it is just finding a good balance of foods if – my body's craving something, it's because it must be wanting it. Uh, so whether it's desserts, eggs, milk, or whatever, I just try to find a good balance. I try not to overload on just bread or just carbohydrates. Right. Like you got to have some greens There's still in there some as balance well. between it. Yep. And if my body's craving meat, I must be clearly in the well when it comes to iron or something like that. It's usually, and I've done regular blood testing with companies I've worked for in the past, worked with in the past. And also just like general checkups, I've like knock on wood, I've never had any issues with um, nutrient deficiencies or iron or anything like that. Yeah, I'm kind of curious, do you, it doesn't sound like you track it religiously in an app or anything, but do you have kind of an eyeball on how many calories you're getting per day? Yeah. Just you, you're burning yeah, so much? Yeah, usually like around like 5,000. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's, it is a certain degree, but at the same time, it's it makes like sense. I, I'm just constantly just trying to eat i guess and i'm always hungry so it's yeah i don't know i've never had issues like kind of bonking during training or bonking during a race so i try to take care of my body no that that makes a lot of sense and you said this year you moved into racing professionally Mm -hmm. what's that transition been like for you uh it's been hard just because i think the biggest challenge for me as well is a lot of people i'm competing against there um not working full-time often they're not they don't have families 
Um, some still do, but they might have like a part-time job. But me being the only breadwinner in my family, I still, I can't just focus on training. I feel like I do the same training as the other top tier athletes, but I think the difference is I don't have the ability to let my body recover and absorb all that training just because right. I, uh, even though I feel like I'm getting an adequate amount of sleep, as soon as I finish the training session, I'm chasing the kids or having to change a diaper, right. um, having to go to meetings or something like that. So it's not just only like physical stress that my body continues enduring throughout the day, but it's also just the mental fatigue of just thinking, have I done X, Y, Z for work? Have I done X, Y, Z with all the family commitments I have? And I actually did take some time off from work just to kind of try, give like triathlon a go. But I found I got even busier, which was kind of crazy because like the way we looked at it, it was like, oh, we have this free time where I don't have to be committed to being in my home office or at work and whatnot. Right. So my wife and I, we just have the natural tendency of just go, go, go. So we're like, oh, let's go to Europe for a month. Granted, we also went there for a race. Right. Oh, let's go do XYZ adventure. So I found that we were, I was on my feet even more just because we were packing a lot more stuff rather than just sitting at home and just recovering from the training sessions. Right, you just filled that time with other things. So exactly. you might as well just keep working if that's... Because then when I'm working, I'm able to just kind of sit in a comfy chair and work through my laptop. Right, your body's not working, your mind's just working. I have a dedicated blocked yeah. off time to work. So yeah. I'm able to actually just do that. But then again, you have to factor the mental stress that comes with a pretty demanding corporate career. Right. Do you find yourself with like brain fog just from running or biking for hours in the morning and from all your training? Or how do you kind of combat that if you uh, get it at all? <laughs> no, I kind of like when, when I'm training, I just focus just on training. Okay. I try not to. Like I, I've always thought that the whole work-life balance thing is kind of like a sham. Like I personally don't believe in that. I feel like it's more so just work-life integration. Like if I'm being a dad, I'm just going to be a dad. If I'm working, I'm just trying to focus on working and just remove any variables for, and my wife's very respectful of that. Like when I'm working, she, the kids are nowhere to kind of be seen and no distractions like that. When I'm training, I have a pretty elaborate home gym in my, um, in our basement. And again, my wife respects that and she's full on kid duty and everything. So I'm able to just focus just on training. Um, so oftentimes I, of course, there's a natural fatigue that comes from right. training and of course I experienced that but um, I don't know I just try not to I just try to embrace it as I mean everyone has some sort of fatigue throughout their day whether right. it's um, being a mom being whatever you're doing like yours just comes from training for have, an exactly yeah, yeah right um, yeah you mentioned that in one of your interviews that you did that I read um, and I was kind of wondering when you are really like blocking off that much time and you're jumping from thing to thing. I don't, I don't think that most people are able to compartmentalize that cleanly, I guess. What, um, could you maybe give me some advice on how you do that? Or are there times where, uh, you know, work is really stressful and then it kind of bleeds into the time that you're training and you find your mind kind of wandering towards those issues. And how do you, how do you manage those kinds of stresses? Yeah, uh, there are definitely times with work when it's a little bit more overwhelming, especially like in accounting, financial, like year end, quarter end is always um, very, very busy. But it's 
I, I think I have pretty good communication with my coach and my wife. Like we know like, Hey, on these days, it's uh, overly stressful when it comes to work or, um, some days my wife is in the salon and unable to be with kids. So we kind of know on those days we have more low key training sessions is because I have other stressors in my life outside of training. But then the days that, you know, where I have a little bit more flexibility, I'm able to load up more. Um, and also with my wife, like she's empathetic to the fact of on these days, I have pretty big training sessions and we have clear lines of communication and everything. We kind of just, the, the way I approach everything as I'm very organized, very detail oriented, like I like having a schedule, but I've learned that I have to be very flexible for everything to go out the window, which oftentimes things happen when you're dealing with kids, family, right. whatever. So just being able to adapt on the fly, I think is also very important. Yeah. It sounds like a big part of it is just having kind of a list of priorities, right? at this time this is the priority and that might get bumped back but you know how to readjust a little bit because when you need to readjust you know okay first i need to take care of priority number one and then priority number two and you can kind of go down the checklist and yeah and reschedule that way and people i, I feel like if something doesn't go according to plan everything is just chaotic and you, sometimes you just need to take a step back take a deep breath and gotta figure out like okay what's immediate priority right now like what do i need right. to do right now like certain things are always going to be set in stone for me. Like I know the kids nap from two thirty, four thirty, so I can do stuff around. So just being conscious of like the entire playing field, but also being able to just hyper focus on what's going on in that moment. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you, do you think of that as like the the two minute rule? Have you ever heard of that? It's mm -hmm. like, um, you know, when there's a bunch of tasks that you need to get done, what do I need to do, and what can I do in the next two minutes? right? Like breaking it down basically into smaller segments. Yeah. Um, it sounds vaguely familiar to that. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Um, so can you maybe outline what your day-to-day -day looks like? I mean, I know there's a lot of times where you're tapering for a race or tapering off of a race, but yeah. what's your, and what does life look like right now? Yeah. So right now it's like, I was actually just joking because it's my first day of off season. I woke up. <laughs> Congrats. Yeah. Thank, <laughs> and I, I was able to like, like, woke up with the kids we all had breakfast and then I just like took a step back I'm like I don't have to train right now I'm like what should I do so I started like cleaning out the fridge cleaning out the junk drawer cleaning out my office and I was like oh man I've done so much and it was only 8 30 I'm like now what like I've never <laughs> had like what do people do with all this extra free time and granted work was a little bit slower since like the Thanksgiving uh, holiday period but still like I'm like, all right, well, let's check, like, my work emails and figure out what I need to prioritize for the day. But the fact that I'm not, like, hardly not training at all this week, I'm like, what do I do with all this extra time? Like, what do people normally do? Like, so then, like, me and the kids, we went into the toy room. We started, like, organizing and cleaning the toy room. I'm like, this is insane. I feel like I have, like, 30 hours in a day right now. Um, but my typical day is... I'll wake up with the kids. I, I try not to set an alarm unless I have to. My kids are pretty regular. They wake up between 7, 7.30. Uh, I'll have breakfast with them. Um, certain days of the week I train with um, this uh, short-distance triathlon group who's trying to get a bid for um, 
Los Angeles 2028 Olympics, so they're more short-distance triathlon. Okay. They're unbelievable athletes, so any chance I get the honor of being able to kind of train with them, which is usually like Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'll wake up at like the crack of dawn, like 5.30, and join them for their swim groups and whatnot. So those days I like wake up earlier. My tough days are usually Tuesdays, Thursdays, and the weekends. Um, and those days I'll get a session in early in the morning, um, come back and usually start working and then do my second training session either during lunchtime or when the kids are napping. Um, I prioritize a lot of my work meetings in the morning, especially since most of my team is either sitting here in Salt Lake or in New York. Um, so I prioritize a lot of that, the good bulk of it in the morning. Um, and then, like I said, the second training session around lunchtime or kids nap times. And then the evenings I dedicate to family time. Okay, so your your evenings are completely free of training. Completely free after five o'clock. I, I can't remember the last time I worked out late in the evening, but yeah, it's that. And also coming back to the whole like not trying to burn the candle on both ends because right. if I'm doing even if it's like an easy hour run, and I have to wake up early in the morning the next day to do a hard workout session, it's like has my body fully recovered? So I just right. try to get all my training done if possible to and before. Yeah, but it's, it's extremely important to stay with that consistent schedule where yep. your body kind of gets in that rhythm. Um, yeah, that's just so interesting. Like most people, when they have extra time in the day, they just sit down and watch TV. You know, yeah. like there's just a billion different shows that they can watch, and that's just that's that's. But that's the thing. Life. I probably watch more TV than anyone else. Oh, because you're just sitting on your bike indoors. So much training indoors. Like, name any Netflix thing, name any podcast. I probably watched or listened to. Like, it's insane how much TV I watch, just because I I do so much training indoors that I need to watch something. You just happen to be moving at a wicked fast pace while you do it, and and that's that's the way I kind of look at it. Sometimes, like, I like, of course, I'll dedicate like evenings, like after we put the kids down, like my wife and I will sit down watch some murder documentary on Netflix right. and it's like her and I kind of bonding time. But then like during the day, like if I'm, when I'm training or someone else, I'll, I have to be watching something. Like I can't just You're turn my brain off. You're not wall yeah. for four hours, really? That's... No, it's, yeah, I can't. Yeah, so it's insane how much I've pretty much seen everything on Netflix, like everything. Interesting. That was actually going to be one of my questions is yeah. like, how do you stay focused during these like Easy. People are like, oh, I can't do indoor training. I'm like, why like if you're gonna watch tv at least do it while like training does that i don't know do you feel like you ever slow down too much on your training because you're just like watching tv no the the training always is like front of your mind and netflix is kind of always in the background yeah i guess yeah and i feel like i'm able to pay pretty close there there are certain like five percent of the time if it's a really really hard session right while the blood's just like rushing to my legs and i'm not able to focus i'll like play music but like right. let's say it's like a two-hour bike focus. workout right right but i'm doing like 40 minutes of work like if it's like eight by five minutes on the bike train or whatever i'm able to just kind of focus during that time pause netflix and just put on some bangers on the bluetooth radio right. and just kind of focus on that and then cool down like you factor a warm-up cool down that's like an hour 15 that i'm able to get some good quality netflix in that's awesome yeah. what about when it's like outdoors like 
I assume you try to get outdoors as, as much as possible. Yep. So outdoors, podcasts, I, I do a lot of podcasts. Yeah. yeah, a lot of podcasts. What are, what are the ones that I'm missing here? Because I, I only listen to basically, I only listen to my own podcast, really. I just yeah. repeat the same 30 episodes over and over. Let me pull up what <laughs> I have here. So I, I listen to a lot of like Greg Bennett. Uh, he kind of was an ex-professional triathlete. So okay. it's, it's cool just because he interviews a lot of different athletes and people right. who kind of have that entrepreneurial mindset as well. So it's not only athletes, but also um, just people that are involved in sport, whether it's through right. media, coaches, whatever. Um, Do how, you follow sports then as well? Uh, depends what kind of sport, I guess. Like I'm really into the running space, triathlon. Right. Um, but you're not like watching NBA games in the NFL. Or... Huge NBA guy. Like oh, I, okay. but I, I grew up as a Lakers fan, but that's, I mean, I just finished like the whole legacy Lakers series on Hulu, which was awesome. I watched the Tom Brady one on Hulu. So people, I'm just a Tom Brady fan. I feel like I okay. will watch football if I'm like at a bar with friends and like go sports. Um, but aside from like basketball running and triathlon, not really too much. Um, let's see. I imagine Uh, you're listening to a lot of the ritual, right? Yeah, ritual Ritual podcast is great. Yep, I do a lot of TED Talks, Hidden Brain, Tim Ferriss, big fan of him. I've read all his books, right? Yeah, so that type of stuff. Just taking an insane amount of media content just because you're training for so long, yeah. And then if it's like a hard run that I'm doing outside, I'll um listen to music, just kind of keep that energy up and everything. But yeah, big on music, podcasts, when I'm outdoors, and then inside Netflix. If I can somehow figure out how to watch Netflix when I'm riding outside, that could be genius, but I feel like you dangerous. Could, you should, yeah, it's probably a little too dangerous. dangerous you yeah. probably shouldn't do it. I mean, maybe in the background, but yeah. probably well, probably a good thing there isn't something for that. that I'm not going to encourage that. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I was kind of wondering about, so I messaged you about Arizona, your Ironman mm-hmm. that you just did, and you said it wasn't quite the level of performance that you wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Can you expand on that a little bit? Like my point of view, I still think, man, that's wicked fast. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So honestly, I hate doing long distance Ironman. Anything like, it's just a long day of doing something. Like anything that you're doing for nine hours is just absurd to me. But I did a race. It was a pretty legendary race, Challenge Roth, um, back in July, which is in Germany, mm-hmm. uh, Roth, Germany. And I, I had um, I had big goals for that race. I went just sub nine. Uh, it was like a world championship field. I finished like somewhere in the middle of the pack. And then so I was like, but I wasn't happy with it because I wanted that to be my A race. But then I ended up breaking my collarbone in April. So I wasn't able to have the build that I wanted into that race. But going sub nine on that course, I was, I was really happy. I think I just snuck just under. It was like 859, 37 or something. Um, but I was like, ugh. And I was hoping that would be my last full Ironman ever. But again, I wasn't happy with just because I didn't feel the level of fitness that I thought I would. So I actually just decided to do Arizona like literally a month ago. Um, I spent more time trying to figure out how I was going to break the news to my wife that I was going to do another Ironman. Um, But so with just because I finally felt the level of fitness that I was hoping to have back in July, June, July, I was finally feeling that now. So I was like, okay, like let's let's give Iron Man one more go. And I went in Arizona feeling the best I felt all year, which was great because I've had two serious bike crashes this year. So I finally felt fit, which was 
good. That's like right. how you want to feel going into a major race. And again, it, it, it turned into another huge start list. I think there was like 45 pro men on the start list. And um, the weather wasn't ideal kind of race morning. Like I'm not, I hate swimming in the cold and uh, the water was 61 degrees. I'm like, oh, man, man, that's a long time to be in the water when it's that cold. Yeah. Um, so I'll just break down the race for you. So I started, I and I'm swimming is one of my weakest things. So it's something I've been working right. on for, for a most lot. people. I feel yeah. like, and I felt good the first half. I was where like I was exceeding my expectations the first half of the swim. I'm with the people I want to be with. I'm like cool. And then I notice I'm like, man, I really can't feel my feet. And I was like, this. This is really like my my legs were just numb because it was sixty one degrees and it was so cold and I don't have booties or anything I was just right. like bare so I started like kind of flexing my ankle flexing my calf just kind of get some blood flowing in there and then my calf started cramping up my I even curled my toes then my toes my pinky toe started cramping up I'm like this is so uncomfortable and this is all in the water this is all You're in all the water s- yeah oh my gosh and then I was just just feeling very uncomfortable and I was like, um, I don't want to like keep swimming this cold. I should probably just pull the plug. But then I thought to myself, well, where am I going to go? I'm in the middle of this freaking lake. I can't just yeah, you gotta swim out of it somehow. Yeah, I, well I, 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 if I'm like, let's just get to the finish line. And like, um, the last five minutes, there's this guy who I've pretty much raced with all season. We always come out of the water together. I'm like, all right, if Johnny's here, like, let's just at least start the bike and see how it kind of pans out. Like I've swam with Johnny at all the races this season. So if we're coming out together, can't be that bad. Right. Um, so I still had like, my swim was about like an hour and two minutes. So okay. I ideally I was hoping to swim like around 57. So I was about five minutes short of my goal, but I'm like, mm, I can't feel my legs. Uh, which was really funny. Cause I started coming up the ramp and I go to stand up and my, feet were so numb i fell face down in the water and i banged my shin i was like how am i gonna walk so i'm like crawling up the ramp trying to like get some blood flow on my feet and then i come out of the water and it feels like i have two wooden pegs for legs and i'm just like wobbling side to side trying to run through transition and transition was like uh shy under half a mile long to get to my bike so i'm running half a mile trying to take off my wetsuit running on like wooden peg legs. I'm like, do not fall face down on the concrete because that would hurt a lot more than yeah, the water. that would be brutal. But it was just like crazy how cold my feet were. <laughs> uh, so then I finally get to my bike. I put on a pair of like gloves. Quick yep. question. On on the swimming, you said you're, you were hoping for 57 minutes. You got 102. What's, um, what's the, where's kind of like the marker line for professional and elite or sub-elite? Yeah, so the way I look at it is like the really good swimmers are somewhere between like 50 like anywhere between 48 to 48 really yeah holy smokes yeah and the thing is like with the wetsuit i should have swam faster and that was also what i was hoping for because i mean when i did challenge roth i did that in a swim skin because the water temp was higher and i swam like a 101 or 102 so i i should have just by that logic even with the same fitness should have have swam faster faster. but the fact that i was having just issues with the cold but the like five minute difference from my goal isn't huge when factoring right. in Ironman, but what I've learned in professional racing, it makes a huge difference because who you come out of the water with is who you ride with. Like the draft effect right. of even like 20 yards from someone 
when you're going 25, 26, 27 miles an hour, you still get a, a benefit of right. being in someone's legal draft zone. For 112 miles. You exactly. Get a so that's yeah. been huge. And I, I've learned that the hard way just because sometimes I'll be riding solo and I'll build, put in more work and still riding slower than other people who are kind of just in that group. So things matter a lot more when you're coming out of the water with other people. But oh, I knew that Johnny was a good rider. So I'm like, all right, if I'm coming out with him, I'll just ride with him. Uh, but coming out of the bike, I went like a bat out of hell. And I immediately passed Johnny on the bike. And I was like, okay, I need to catch the next group. Like who whoever was right, in front of us. Just because you didn't want to be riding alone. In the exactly, the yeah. Okay. So um, I worked hard the first loop of the bike course. So how Arizona is structured, it's 112 miles broken up as three loops. Okay. Uh, and it was a really windy day. I think we were pushing like a, like into 20 mile per hour headwind, which is oh very frustrating just because yeah. with me personally, when I race, I'd rather climb a mountain on a race than have to deal with the wind just because yeah. the wind is mentally daunting to me. Because, like, it's a flat road. Why am I riding 14 miles an hour? Right. <laughs> this is the wind. And the course is especially tough because you have headwind going out and somehow coming back, you're dealing with crosswind. So it's more so you're still getting a benefit kind of pushing you out, but you really have to hyper-focus on don't get blown off the road. And the road right. quality in Arizona isn't all that great. So the first loop went great. I was able to find some people. But then it blew my mind. As soon as we started the second loop, there was so many amateur athletes on the course. Like it's already packed because Ironman just allowed, uh, I think they had 1,950 additional athletes this year than in the past. Oh, wow. So that just makes the, on a looped course, that just makes it, it a lot makes more congested. Crowded, yeah. So I think I spent the entire time, like I lost my voice yelling, left, 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 like please move because I want to be respectful of them, but at the same time, like, Right, because they're chasing their goals too. Exactly, like yeah. they want to get to the finish line. But it's also, it's in my opinion, it was just a very dangerous move by Ironman because right. they already knew, like they told us during the pro meeting, "Hey, be prepared. It's going to get very congested on the third loop." So the fact that it was congested on the second loop, it blew my mind. It's, I'm like, man, I'm going to have to deal with 80 miles of this. Like this yeah. is crazy. And after a couple of close calls where some people were just riding on the far left of the road, or like getting blown over. I kind of had to hit my brakes. I'm like, what am I doing? Like that, I, that was the second time I debated pulling out, even though I was riding really great. I'm like, I need to get home to my kids. I don't want to deal with a third right. bike crash this year and kind of like terrified me. So, um, I kind of just thought about like, okay, just don't focus on that. Just keep riding, keep riding. Um, and at one point, once we got on the highway, there was like bigger lane, but still, um, something I was trying to kind of be cautious of. Right. Like, I think one of the things that I'm most sore about that race isn't, like, yeah, I'm sore from the biking and the running, but it's my neck, just the fact of, like, being in that aero position, normally I can, like, look down and just keep my eye, eyes up and kind of be focusing. Right. But the fact that I do so much yelling, I had to essentially keep my neck up the entire time. So yeah. I put a lot of strain on my neck, and that's the most sore body part right now. Um, so that was kind of, like, scary, just the fact that I had to ride in such a congested field. And there were some people that did have bike crashes, which is frustrating because Ironman's expensive enough. And two, you want to feel safe right. on a closed course. And there's been stuff in the past where 
you know, police haven't had barricades up and a car's come out of the course and hit athletes. Like you, like you don't want to be dealing with that. And right. like I said, I've, I've had some like um, mental barriers this year with past car crashes. So I just tried focusing on the moment. It's just, was focused on the next mile, just ride safely, control what you can control. And I did ride a little conservative, um, but I still had um, a good bike time, one that I'm happy with despite uh, the wind and the congestion on the course. Oh, man. Yeah, that that would – the mental game more than anything just sounds tough. You know, where you're an elite athlete even and you're considering dropping out of a race, it like – I don't know, like, how do you, what, what is that conversation like in your mind? Is it really just trying to quiet those those thoughts and trying to focus on the moment? Or do you kind of negotiate with yourself and say, if I can do X, Y, and Z, then we'll do another mile, you know? Yeah, like, one, I think the, the only time I, which is weird, because I, I thought I would think about, like, 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 people are, like, ask me, like, what do you think about when you do an Ironman? Right. And now I look back and I'm like, really what do I think about when I'm doing an Ironman like it's nine hours of just I don't think about my family I don't think about my kids I don't think about stuff that you would think you would think about I just think of like am I pushing myself as hard as I can in that moment I did like one of the things that has always been an overarching theme with me it's I want to teach my kids like no matter how much things may suck in the moment just get to the finish line like endure like endure what you can and just get it done. And that's how I kind of thought about it. And like knock on wood, I haven't had any DNFs in a race where I've just pulled out. Cause I don't know. I just think like I'm there might as well, unless I'm like really sick and damaging my body, I'm not going to pull out. Right. And, um, so all I kept thinking about was like, just get to the finish line. If something happens that's dangerous, then yeah, I'm going to naturally pull out. But unless I'm I've crashed or something like that. I'm like, just get to the finish line, right? Conservatively, of course, don't put yourself in um, a dangerous situation. But yeah, I just, it, it was tough just because I don't know if you heard about the um, Ironman St. George 70.3 championships that happened no, like, a, like a couple of weeks ago in St. George. Um, but there was a, a driver that was high on drugs that got on the course and caused a bike crash with two athletes. One was oh, a good man. friend of mine. And that's like, that blows my mind. It's like, one, there needs to be a close course, especially you're paying all this money, you're putting your life on the line, essentially. And stuff like that just kind of terrifies me. So I try not to think about that while I'm racing, but it's like ultimately like- um, Right, because you you focus on what you can control. And yeah. if somebody does that, that, I mean, you can't predict it. Yep. You, it's not worth worrying about because you, who knows? You know, exactly. It's just not within your control. Oh, man. But then I got on the run. I was like, cool. That's always, like, the best feeling. It's like I didn't drown. I got off the bike safely. Like, for the most part, running is, like, the least dangerous of the three. I'm like, and I consider myself a runner. So, man, I felt so good running. Like, the first 16 miles, I'm, like, going off at, like, 6.30 pace. I'm like, I feel so good. Like, this is going to be the easiest run of my life. 6.30 pace after already, what, six hours of Yeah, and it felt so good. It blew my mind. I'm like, and I've had had the goal of running a sub three marathon, like, for a long time. That's, like, one of the holy grails for triathletes. If you can run a sub three marathon off the bike, like, that's really, really good. 
I was like, this is the day. And I was like, man, I think I can run, run like 255. And I'm like, that's unreal. That's way better than sub three. So I'm feeling so good. Everything is going great. Um, and then like mile 18, my body was only absorbing like bananas and water. I was like, that's not good. This is like when I really need those calories. Uh, what do you mean your body's only absorbing that? Like, how- like it just felt like I would take in a gel and I would have to like spit it up just because like my body was like, mm, you're going to throw up if you like, I can't, like I was either throwing it up or spitting it out. Oh man. And I just couldn't, like it wasn't absorbing the calories or it wasn't absorbing like You were carbs. literally throwing it up. Yeah. And I think it had to do with the fact that, um, Maybe I didn't take enough water when I needed to. So my body was like, hey, I think we've hit the limit for the amount of carbs that you've taken because it was colder right. that day. So you're not sweating as much, but I wanted to like get the nutrients in that I needed. Uh, I mean, I still ran well, but towards the end, it just like any goals of like a 255 marathon just went out the window just when it turned into just get to the finish line, just get to the finish line. Right. All of a sudden you're running off of bananas and water. Yeah, exactly. And, um, so the fact that I went like, I think I ran a three Oh six, but just that goal of, I'm like, ah, but another sub nine, I think is good. And it's a race that I'm proud of. I think out of the 45 minutes that started, I finished like 18th. So it's, it's a race that I'm still proud of. Despite like I I I was hoping to go like around eight thirty five for this race if the conditions right. were optimal, um, but I'll take it. I'm happy, and I told my wife I'm like we don't have to do a full Ironman ever again. So are you actually done this time? One hundred percent. So I what's just, what's next now? Are you doing? Uh, I, I'm going to focus just on half Ironman seventy okay. point threes, which is kind of crazy because you're exercising for four and a half hours. And that's still a long day when you start thinking about it. Oh, yeah. But the fact that it feels like a sprint um, just because the competitive nature of the professional racing at that distance is so fast. Yeah. Um. So I really just want to focus on some of that shorter stuff and try to kind of like work on that swim speed, that bike speed, just because I know my run can handle what it needs to. But like that swim, just setting myself up to kind of execute – uh, professional race rather than just kind of going out there for a swim bike run time trial is it i mean i'm sure that there's a big difference between training for a full and a half ironman but i don't know what the difference is to me i mean and i think to most people it just seems like a really really long race with yeah. you know at a really high pace so i can't imagine your volume being that big of a difference yeah, and I'm sure I'm wrong. So. Yeah, this question is probably more appropriate for my coach. Uh, so I always, <laughs> I always joke with him. I'm like, man, like Ironman training is like easy. Just do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And he's like, there's a lot more that goes into it. I'm like, and that's why you're my coach. Um, but like, um, I, I think volume wise, I don't think anything really changed too much. Is but it's more so about the intensity. Just there's no need to be running like. 520 miles if you're training for an Ironman because the level of adaptation is not there. So we would do a lot more like um, four by 30 minutes at like 620 pace where it's kind of like boring. You're not working too hard, but you're not working too easy. It's just kind of like, okay, just let your mind run and just kind of take those miles where just kind of get your your legs used to running that pace and 
trying to make right. that pace feel easy because 520 pace won't feel easy for a full Ironman, but 620 will because then ultimately if you can make 620 feel easy, then 630 should feel breeze for a full Ironman off the bike. So just doing a lot of um, like having each session kind of build on each other. Okay, that makes sense. How does it, um, you, just because you mentioned your coach, I was kind of wondering about this, like, because Braden's being trained by John and John's being trained by you and you're mm. being trained by this other guy. Like, yeah. is that how it is with everybody? Like, at what point are you just being trained by the other people you're competing against and it becomes this little loop? Well, I think it also, like, differs a lot from, um, like, I don't think each training is just generic to kind of everyone just because right. each person's different each person has different life stressors and um stuff like that and also like my big goal is i i ultimately i'm trying to invest in utah just because i think utah has such a great athletic culture mm-hmm. that like a lot of the sponsors that i'm trying to work with are companies here in utah where i can help develop their brand and build that athletic community whether you're doing your first 5k or you're doing trying to compete at a very high level for Kona or something like that, just because I think it, what better way to kind of get to know people or have that social aspect than um, going on a bike ride or going on a run. Like it's a cool way for us to, as adults to play bikes, you know, like when was the last time that you could just like call a buddy like, Hey, you want to go on a bike ride? Versus like if my daughter did that, they'd be like, Oh yeah, let's go ride bikes down the street. It's like, why can't adults do that? So ultimately, it's um, just trying to focus more on, and if, if anyone needs help, like, hey, uh, I, I can I pick your ear about triathlon? I love that. Like, I'm happy to kind of lend you my opinion on training, whatever, just because I want to, if I can help you in any way, great. If you want to go run together, great, more than happy to. With that in mind and being kind of an open book with your training, um, but you're also in the competitive scene. Is there any level of, I can't share this because I don't want my competitors knowing about it? No, at least not for me. I don't think like, I'm, I'm not winning the Olympics. I'm not winning Kona. I'm not, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out this sport. And honestly, like if you look at a lot of people's training that you're doing, it's nothing like everyone to a certain degree is doing a lot of similar sessions. Right. But I think just trying to kind of understand what those thresholds and how it applies to you and kind of like what sessions you're doing in your build, I think that's where it kind of differs. Because ultimately, like, like my whole thing is about doing the right workouts at the right time. Um, and then you start factoring in a lot more science and, like, blood lactate and everything else like that, then it starts getting a little bit more complicated, but ultimately it's trying to finesse what those zones for that you should be training at to really get your best race on race day. Is there a part of all of that, that, uh, is just, you don't like, or is boring. Like I I started thinking about all of that stuff and it's like one thing to be a nerd for the sport. Right. And to learn all about that stuff. And on the other side, that sounds like a lot of not running, you know, to, to be worried about your blood levels or your lactate levels or all of that stuff. Like, is there any portion of those things where you're just like, oh, man, I just hate focusing on this. Like, I know it's part of the training, but it's just not my favorite part. Mm, not really. Like, I, like <laughs> yeah, That's a fair, like, fair answer. Me yeah. personally, I just tell my coach, I'm like, whatever you put in my like training plan, I'm going to do it. Like, no questions right. asked. 
Um, just because like my end goal is I want to be the best that I can. And my coach, I feel like knows me better as an athlete than I do myself. Uh, I think that's true for most people. I think people that try to get self-coached, it just becomes a little bit, you don't have that third party, a third party omniscient person who kind of like has that holistic view. Um, so that's like, that's my end goal. Maybe some things do get boring sometimes, but I'm like, it's part of the work that I have to do. Like, right. yeah, like I, I it's just I, part of the process. Yeah. Like I, I tell my coach, I'm like, if you need me to train more, tell me and I can communicate with my wife and try to get it sorted out. And I, I want to do whatever I need to, to get better. So you tell me what that is and I'll get it done, I guess. Do you, what do you think is the next step for you? Like if you're always trying to optimize, like what could you be doing more of right now to get to that next level? Swimming, a lot more swimming. And I feel like my swimming is improving, but just translating that from like training to an actual race. Um, but I feel like I'm going to have some breakthroughs next year just because I've already invested a lot in my swim this year despite two bike crashes that took me out of the water for a while because I had a broken collarbone and then torn rotator cuff. Um, so those are two injuries that kept me out of the water and it was hard to kind of come back to. Um, so just focusing more on swimming and keep making the improvements I need to on the bike and run, of course, because like people focus a lot on like, oh, yeah, make your weaknesses your strengths. So it's like, well, you got to keep making your strengths your strength too because right. this isn't a sport where uh, you can falter in any of those things. Yeah, I mean, you can't train for a triathlon and just not run. Yeah, exactly. Because it's your strength. Like, but you ultimately, the, the only way to become a good swimmer is by is not this, running. Yeah, and just swim a lot more, just because running takes out depletes your energy levels, and you're not able to focus on all the technique components. So, I'm starting a swim block next week where I'll pretty much be swimming four to five k every single day, and just trying to improve that. Just focus on swimming. Mm-hmm. Oh man, good luck. Thanks. Are you? Do you have a specific race in mind or one on the calendar? Yeah, I'm starting the season off in April second with Oceanside, Oceanside, in California. Cool. Congrats. Excited. Thanks. And congrats on the race that you just did. Um, you know, it, it it's just amazing. Honestly, yeah. like that there aren't. I never run into people like you in my day to day, and it's not because they don't exist. It's because they are that rare. You know, there really yeah. aren't very many of you you know in a sense and thanks for coming on the podcast thanks for letting me steal some of your time where your kids are napping i really appreciate it yeah no it's my pleasure and i i don't know just i've always had the mentality of like i want to be everything like i i I worked hard in school so i can have a good career and now i'm like training hard to be a good athlete but i'd want to give up the career that i worked so hard for and i've always wanted to be a husband i've always wanted to be a dad and I want to be the best one that I can in those things. And I feel like to a certain degree, things do get overwhelming sometimes, but I feel like I can still do all that. So until I start, you know, half-assing something, I'm going to keep whole-assing everything. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, thanks so much. Appreciate it, man. For sure.